The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Give God glory and praise with a hand clap if you want to stand to your feet and bless his name. Will you do it? He is worthy of all praise. We are here not because of our own minds. Do you realize he woke you up in your right mind this morning? Some of y'all have been some fools for a very long time, but he sanctified you. He changed you. He lifted you up. He brought you in your right mind so you can worship him. I know I'm being funny, but I'm not being facetious because the truth of the matter is we need that manger to change and transform our lives. We need the power of God's word. We need his spirit to fill us, change us, renew our minds each and every day because of the chaos. How many of y'all been watching the news and know that there's tragedy after tragedy? How many of y'all live through trauma, living through trauma, going through things right now? And you know you need the strength of that incarnate Christ to make it through this life. Amen, somebody. Oh, goodness, I need it every day with this baby. Pray for my wife as she is at home, but it is a blessing to be amongst the people of God. It feels like we haven't been, I haven't been here for uh, a long time. And so it is a privilege and honor to always bring the word of the Lord to the people of God. And so as we do, uh, I want us to pray uh, right before we read the scripture. Father, we love you. You are holy. You are mighty. Uh, everything, though, that we give praise to you about, let it rise up to you. Let it be a sweet offering. Uh, let it be a sweet aroma. Let it be something that you, Lord, are pleased with. And God, meet us in this place. Fill this place with your spirit. Allow your spirit to be saturated in the hearts and the minds of your people, making them eager to hear your word, hearing everything from you and not from me. Therefore, Lord, hide me beneath your cross. Allow me, Jesus, to be set behind all of those things that make you beautiful so that you can be at the forefront. So, Lord, fill my mind and fill my heart with the words, Lord Jesus, that are appropriate for your people. For it is in Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people say together, amen. We find ourselves continuing our Advent series, and we are in Luke chapter 2. Uh, we just have two verses this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. Uh, if you will take time to open your Bibles to that and uh, follow me as we read God's word together. Hear the word of the Lord. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Because there was no place for them in the inn. Just the understanding of, as to what is happening in our particular passage in, right now, David, I mean, uh, jo Joseph, who is of the line of David, he and Mary are heading to Jerusalem. And as they are heading there from Nazareth, uh, they are actually finding themselves in Bethlehem without a home, without a place to give birth to the newborn child, Jesus. They knew Jesus was coming. It was foretold to them by an angel who met them. Mary even sung a song about it. 
affirmed by Elizabeth, who also affirmed it by the movement of John the Baptist in her womb. And so as they find themselves at this particular point in the passage, uh, it is interesting because these are young individuals who are only following instructions in terms of the census. But meanwhile, there is babies dying because Caesar Augustus knows that Jesus is on the way. The Messiah is coming. And so as they find themselves in this barn and laying Jesus in a manger, where they, and the reason they wrapped the baby in swaddling cloth, they may not have been alone technically. There may have been what we would see, perceive a doula, someone, someone with them to help them through the birthing process. But as they were doing so, wrapping Jesus in a swaddling cloth was typical for infants because it straightened their bones. So it wasn't just like when we have newborn babies and they give us to them and they put them in the cloth to take the measurements and all of that and then they wrap them um, and we think it's a sweet thing to calm them and keep them peaceful. This was something that they thought um, medically would help strengthen their bones and straighten the baby's bones. And so the manger though was not planned. Laying the baby in a feeding trough, it was just convenient. Somewhere to lay Jesus for their time. Now, since we find ourselves here, one of the things that I believe this morning and this passage helps us is with understanding what it means to actually imitate Christ through his incarnation. Meaning that everything that we see, wrapping him up in swaddling cloth, him coming in human flesh, is the incarnate Christ making himself God, fully God, making himself fully human in order to meet the needs of his people. And if we ought to know anything, our greatest need is that we need Jesus to save us from our sins. We need Jesus because what he does, he actually reconciles all things. Now, that may not excite any of you guys, and you may not shout out your shoes, and that's appropriate, but hopefully by the end of this sermon, you want to move your body just a little bit. Because here's the reality. God has called and made us imitators. Why? The first thing that I watch and recognize about my children is that they actually imitate everything that I do. Right now, my 19-month-old, he looks and every time he drops something because he has heard us say, uh-oh, you know what he says? Uh-oh. When we, re we repeat a word, you know what he does? He repeats that word. Some of y'all like, yeah, there's some words I've said before, and my child has repeated them, and I had to repent in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Our children and we as created individuals, humans, are made to imitate something. As much as we want to be individuals and believe that we're created to do so, even in the way that we dress and make ourselves impress individuals and bring our own unique talents and gifts, the reality is all of us are moving in one thought, in one mind, to imitate someone else. And hopefully, we're imitating Christ. 
Hopefully, Christ is the very individual that is at the forefront of our minds, of our families, of our jobs, of our careers, of everything that we do. And we want our lives to look more and more like Jesus. Even now, my my 19-month-old imitates his older brother as he is seeing MJ do anything, he follows him and runs after him and does everything else he sees his older brother do. The fascinating thing about that is I believe that runs in concert with all of creation. Have you ever watched a herd? Have you ever watched a swarm? Have you ever watched creation imitate one another throughout All of things made and created. How do we think about sound? How do we think about movement? How do we think about everything on the face of the earth if we're not fascinated with the wonder of all of creation? It comes from somewhere. We didn't create birds. We didn't make wild wildebeest. We didn't create bees. We didn't make the trees, nor did we make the skies, nor did we make the depths of the ocean. But yet, we imitate all things in creation. And so what I believe that the main idea this morning that I want you to walk away with is that God, Jesus incarnate, had appeared so that we may imitate him. He appeared so that we may imitate him. All of what he went through, he went through it so that we can follow him. Beloved, we live in a day and an age where now it is hard to follow Jesus. Not not that it wasn't more difficult to follow Jesus in uh, 1909 or 1859 or in 1 BC, but it was it, uh, 180, sorry. It was uh, <laughs> 70 AD, actually. Uh, it, it, was, it is difficult to follow Jesus more and more because of the evolution of all things that we have developed and created through technology, overconsumption. All of these things make it more and more difficult to follow Jesus because we're distracted by everything that is around us. We have to admit that, therefore, what I want to flesh out in saying that we imitate Christ is that he gives us freedom. Christ gives us freedom in which we ought to imitate. And then Christ helps us to imitate love and compassion. Everybody say love and compassion. And then he gives us the ability to actually imitate his glory. To imitate his glory. Let's start at the first point in which God gives us the ability to imitate freedom. The reality of which we imitate freedom, we have to ask ourselves the question, what does it mean to imitate something that we struggle with knowing that it's granted to us? Well, Jesus helps us because where he finds himself in this manger is actually during his birth, he was experiencing poverty. He was experiencing hostility, born into a world of uncertainty, yet destined for something. If you know the gospel, you know that he is destined for death. He is destined to die for our sins. But yet we need not to be fearful of his death. 
We've seen the disciples who were fearful of Jesus dying because mainly they didn't understand the sacrifice that was needed to be made. The Hebrew writer helps us in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15, where he says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, referring, referring to Jesus, likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who fear death were subjected to a lifelong slavery. When we are able to understand the work and the wonder of Christ, then we become less self-absorbed. When we begin to understand the works and the wonders of Christ, we become far less self-absorbed. Our problems with pain our problems with pressure, our problems with the things that are around us is that we don't have enough discipline to be selfless, which we then lack humility. We need this level of humility. This level of humility means that the discipline of selflessness is not something that is inherent to human beings. We just don't want to give up things. We don't want to give up our time. We don't want to give up our resources. We've seen children who don't want to give up their toys. We do not like sacrifice. Therefore, when we understand what it means to be free in the society, we have to understand that we are not operating under total liberty that is given to us because of the pressures of our culture changes our perspective of what Jesus did for us and why he was buried and the fact that we were to die and be buried with Christ. Why is that, beloved? Why is it that we wrestle with that? It's because the reality of living in the newness of life that is granted to us means that humility is imitated through the way in which we show vulnerability. How many of us want to live as weak, feeble individuals? See, I play football, and in playing football, you could not show any forms of weakness. No matter if the brother was 6'4", 375 pounds, and you were only 173 pounds, 5'9", standing, you had to run through the individual. But what it does is it changes the way you think about things. It changed the way I think about things my entire life. I'm either in, all in, or I'm either not. I'm going to jump out the plane, skydiving, or I'm not going to do it. I, I'm, I'm going to go crazy, or I'm not going to go crazy. But the reality is, is that what it does in order to share that, that, that lack of vulnerability is to say that I can't admit that I need somebody else to help me. I can't admit that in this season right now, it's difficult for, for me to, to get certain news. It's difficult for me to walk through certain issues. It's hard to deal with certain things. I need to rely on someone else, but it's hard to imitate what that freedom to do so looks like when I am always trying to be something else. 
I'm going to say that again. It's hard to imitate what the freedom that we have in Christ to look like when I'm trying to be something or someone and press something or someone else. Y'all not tracking with me, so I'm going to take one analogy and make it to make it plain for you. Many of us always struggle to understand why people do what they do. Struggle to understand why violence is so rampant. Struggle to understand why people show so much anger. Who did they imitate the anger after? Where did the heart of violence come from? Where, where did their minds and their hearts begin to be crafted in whatever environment they were living in to where they had to either survive and not thrive? Some of y'all are like, I can't relate to that. I didn't grow up that way. Or whatever. But you did come up in a, in a way in which... You may have had everything, but you've struggled to know what it means to live a life of weakness because you had so much. So imitating abundance doesn't necessarily mean you got it all together. Imitating the reality that you have means does not mean that you got it all together. Imitating the fact that you have been able to run a company or you are able to be the, in an executive leadership or you're able to start your own business or you are able to be the best teacher in the city of Memphis or on the face of the planet, being able to, to have a successful career and retire and everything be all right doesn't mean that you are able to have it all together. Mamas. Some of y'all struggle right now knowing that you are a mother of multiple children or your firstborn child is coming and you are trying to have it all together. But you don't know what is before you. So who do you imitate? The freedom to be vulnerable is powerful because what it does is it apprehends our fears it lays aside, aside the slavery of pride and arrogance, and it begins to live in the freedom of the weaknesses in Jesus Christ. Essentially, our vulnerabilities begin to do something. It begins to help us to see that we don't have it all together. <laughs> it's as simple as that. In fact, Mary says something when she sings in the Magnificat. She says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. His mercy is the one is, is, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Many of you can remember in the Old Testament when God killed off a generation because they did not fear him. And he has shown strength. He shows strength. I mean, he has strength in his arm. He shows strength in his arm. Sorry. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Meaning that the fact that people think that they can, they are the smartest individuals on the face of the earth. So many different things that we encounter theologically, so many things that we encounter philosophically, so many things that we encounter thinking in society, societally, so it affects our, our view of the world. We think that we have it together, but our pride confuses our hearts. Mary begins to sing again. She says, and he has brought down the mighty for their throne, from their thrones. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. Essentially, when we allow our vulnerabilities to lead us to the fear of God, we'll begin to live in this freedom. But the concerns is the fact that is our trauma or is the thing that we do not want to live in vulnerability with greater than God. 
greater than the one that we ought to serve and imitate. And for those who are struggling on their, in their faith and trying to wrestle with whether I continue to believe in the gospel, whether I continue to believe in what the Bible is teaching me, I want to tell you that it is okay to struggle. It's okay to not have it all together. It's okay to not necessarily feel as if you got all the answers. The Bible says we will not have all the answers until we see Jesus. So when we're struggling with certain Y'all have heard me mention the gender dysphoria and sexuality, but when we're also struggling with violence and how, thing, how mass shootings are happening, when we're struggling with our communities and the, the poverty that is abject amongst so many people around us and we're struggling politically, I, I want to tell you, we're not going to get it together in this lifetime. We're going to get it together when Jesus steps foot on earth and begins to consummate all things. And therefore, I don't want us to be surprised with the fact that God isn't surprised what is happening right now. He isn't surprised that some people want different pronouns. He's not surprised that certain people want certain political stances. He's not surprised by the fact that there are certain things that are happening where people are dying by the masses. God is not surprised, nor is he won over by popular opinion. He's not won over by world and culture and the entertainment that is before us. But the devil, he wants to win you over. He wants to confuse you, your thought life, your sexuality, your security, your commitment to God. He wants to confuse you on how you're supposed to show your loyalties to God in the way you imitate him. He's trying to confuse you because you don't know if you're supposed to be dating her, marrying her or him or staying with him. You don't know if it is okay because we just heard the Pope say today that the sin, the sin of having sex out of marriage, is it, that ain't the big problem no more. Some of us are struggling with that because... All in which everything that is things that are said around us actually affect the way we imitate Christ. Didn't I just say that at the beginning? That's what I want us to understand. It's hard to live in that freedom when we are imitating other things. God wants us to live in freedom. Therefore, we must be hum hum humble and vulnerable. But to be imitators, we also must imitate him in love and compassion. In the freedom that we have, but also in the love and compassion. Because so many of us have to ask the question of how do we show love and compassion with so much is going on in society? How do we show love and compassion where every time that I come off the Sam Cooper Bridge right there at Highland, there's someone that's homeless holding a sign. Or we don't have enough homeless shelters to house all of the homelessness that are around us. We don't have all of the cures to help with those that are drug addicted and stuck on alcohol. Those that are addicted to porn and can't stop lusting after we are. We don't have the cure for it all, but can I tell tell you that Jesus came 2,000 years ago not for you or me to have it all together but he came in order to demonstrate that the value that he has for life is the value in order to wrap himself in human flesh and identify with us that's, that's the how in which we uh, actually show the value of life and actually begin to empathize with others. Because Jesus, yes, was rejected and ridiculed. Jesus was not accepted to be the most popular. But he came to those who rejected and ridiculed him to show love and compassion. Demonstrating such widely, wide love and compassion, it wasn't widely accepted. 
individuals around him who left him homeless, left him impoverished, actually left him in his own, didn't care for the status that he had, wanted to be away from him. Like we got to ask ourselves the question, not will we have come to Jesus? I mean, we got to ask ourselves the question, will we have come to Jesus if we seen him? Our pride gets in the way thinking that we would not be a Pharisee. Our pride gets in the way thinking that we wouldn't be the very ones walking past the very individual we thought stunk. God is helping us to see that that what he did to actually value life was this. He healed the man with the withered hand. He fed the 5,000. He cared for the woman with the issue of blood. He was able to identify with those that are marginalized in society. That being said, he was the one that was sitting with the extortioners, i.e. tax collectors. He was the one with the prostitutes and the poor, the criminal offenders. Everybody that we push to the margins because so much of our fear comes out of the fact of what we may lose sacrifice what Jesus has already done. So then Christ's ministry to these groups and becoming a a, a human is directly indicated for his high value for human life. It was one scholar, Carl Barth, who notes this, the respect of human life, which becomes a command in the recognition of the union of God, in the recognition of the union with God, with humanity, has an incomparable power and with humanity therefore lacks something it lacks love the appropriate amount of love it lacks compassion the appropriate amount of compassion for human life this is obvious in the way that we treat those who've been incarcerated those who are disabled in our own community It's particularly relevant in the way that we are judgmental in our hearts towards other communities. It is also interesting in the way that we serve, we we think about those that do the public services in our own communities, picking up the trash, taking care of the very things that we don't want to take care of. Why do I use such basic applications because they're the things that God is using to teach us how to be loving and compassionate. Willie taught me this a while ago and I've been doing it ever since. When my trash man comes, I try to give him a Gatorade or a a water bottle. I run in the house. I I say, brother, what you need? I'll take any. You got a beer. I'll take that. I ain't got that for you because you can't drink on the job. But but I'm going to hook you up with some Gatorade, some waters, and maybe some Fritos. Because what I want him to know is every time he comes and picks up my trash, I am imitating Christ by the way that I serve him. Beloved, this should be working in our hearts in a way that helps us to know that God is calling us to live in a way that is more connected to the way that we love and show compassion for the value of human life. Not only when we get on a political agenda and we talk about abortion. Not only in, the, in, the, in, the, in a hyper-politicized society, but in the way that we care for our neighbors. He came incarnate in order for us to live incarnationally. Let me keep working that out. 
Let's tease that out just a little bit more in terms of how we ought to imitate Christ in his love and compassion. Uh, it was in Lausanne where, where uh, they said at this conference in, in Manila in 1989 in the manifesto that true mission is incarnation. It necessitates entering humbly into other people's worlds, identifying with the social reality, their sorrow and suffering and their struggles for justice again against oppressive powers. This was in 1989. It's relevant today. It's, a, it's relevant today because we have to ask ourselves, church, how has people, how has the communities we serve, how have people we've been around seen us identifying with them? How do drug addicts feel as if the church identifies with them? And I don't only try to say, you got a problem, and I want to solve it. You got a problem, and I want to serve it. How do single mothers help? How do single mothers see us identifying with them and not showing pity and being self-condemning? Another example is our leadership in our communities and in our own churches. How do we identify with the people that we serve when many of our leadership, much of our leadership doesn't exemplify the people we serve? How can we serve people in a community and we don't have them leading in our communities. It stifles the way we show love and compassion. I have to learn this as a father in so many different ways because, you know, I was raised where, you know, you, you, you basically shut up when your parents talking to you. <laughs> so my... <laughs> Let me use an analogy. My pops not here. They came in town to see the baby that, um, you know, I didn't know if they were going to come to church. So I'm going to use this story. But he, he, he said, because I was, well, you know, when you're a parent and you're trying to discipline your child in front of, you know, your parents, sometimes they're a little judgmental. <laughs> so he says, you know, my son does something. He says, uh, woo, your daddy nice. He said, he said, my, my daddy boy would have slapped the black off me. Some of y'all never heard that term before. But, but the reality is, is that I'm trying to identify with my son. Not just discipline him, but say, son, I've been just like you before. So my first inclination is not to slap the black off on you. It's to keep it on you. But about three, four times later, it may come off of you. <laughs> but it's to say, I've been where you've been. Listen to me. I care about you. And I'm trying to direct you now because there are greater consequences where I want you to hear me and I'll identify with you later. And we can relate on those things. I like watching National Geographic. So when Will Smith had his Welcome to Earth National Geographic, I was one, I, 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 you know, I'm just about through all of them. I'm kind of savoring them, but I really enjoy it. And so on, on the first one, um, I'm sorry if anybody's like, oh, you're going to ruin it. I'm sorry. I apologize. But on the first one, he, he goes to a volcano and he says, and at the beginning, I've never camped. I, I can identify with him. This is, he, 
He's like, I've never s- slept in a tent, which, uh, you know, it was, it, was probably, it was around Six Flags though. But, I, I, you know, I've never climbed a, a mountain like other people have, et cetera, et cetera. And so he goes on to say that he's going to this volcano. And they go into the volcano. They walk in, and they w- and he sees the sounds. He watches. I mean, he sees the, the lava. He hears the sounds. He watches everything around him. But his comrade, one of the explorers that are with him, he cannot see. And, but I didn't know that until he says to him, he asks him the question. He says, how does this make you feel, Eric, um, understanding that you can't see what is happening right now? And Eric had lost his sight when he was in 10th grade, and so he had been learning how to, to listen for a long time. And he says that, you know, even though that I can't see it, I can hear it, and I can imagine what, what I hear. But it was at one point to where Eric could hear things that Will and the other explorer could not hear. Even though that they had all of their sensibilities, he was able to hear a tremble that was picked up on a radar that they could not hear. And I found that interesting because it was at one point in the show where he says, Eric, I hear what you always hear now. And what that said to me is Will was identifying with a man who could not see. There are so many people in our communities, so many people around us that we need to identify with who have invisible disabilities, visible disabilities, so many things that are crippling them that oftentimes we judge them and we are not the individuals to say, I once was where you were. I think the the song says that I once was lost. I, I once was lost, but now I am found. And when Jesus begins to find you, Things happen in your, in your life. It may not be the things that you hear. You may hear some different things. You may see some different things, but a tingling happens in your body. A tingling happens and a sensation happens in your mind. The way that you used to think about people and others, the way you used to treat people, the way you used to think about women, the way you used to treat men, the way that you used to be around other individuals had changed because of the very individual you begin to imitate. And that, beloved, is the power of the gospel. And it leads us, as I want to conclude with our last point, it not only is the power of the gospel in which we are to imitate the love and compassion, imitate the freedom that is given us, but imitate the glory of God. Who shows us how to imitate the glory of God? You remember when Moses was on the mountain, right? When Moses was on the mountain, he was having a conversation with God. And as he was having that conversation, you understand, Moses said, I think I can get away with something. And this is me, Michael Davis' translation out of the Hebrew into the Old Testament. He said that, that God, won't, won't you just show me your glory? See, see you, sometimes, you know, when, when, when your kids like to stay up late and you're so tired, they ask you something, they think they catch you off guard, and you just said something that you don't realize you just said. He couldn't catch God slumbering. He couldn't catch God off guard. God said, you can't see my face. But I can move past you with my backside. Some of us, sometimes when you read that text, you may get a chill in your spine. I sure enough do. But what it says to me is that what God was saying is that I'm far too powerful to show you my full expression of glory. That's why I'm going to wrap it up in the human flesh and bring it to you and then consummate it all at the end of the day. But then I want you to take a pause. He said, but I'm going to move past you with my backside. 
Now, now this is something that is incredible to me because when he moved past his Moses, he says, I'm going to hide your face. I'm going to hide you with my hand in the face of the cliff, in the cleft of the rock, sorry. And as he hides his face, God in all of his power, all of his majesty, all of his radiance, all of his brilliance comes past him. And sure enough, it leaves Moses fascinated. Fascinated in such a way that Moses begins to write. And he writes so, so way, he, he was so eager to write, he began to write on tablets. And these tablets were carved out, and he was inspired by God to do such. But then, this was the beautiful thing. He had to go see the people of God. Chapter 34. They didn't see God, but they seen that he had been with God. Beloved, if we're imitating the glory of God, some folks will see that we may not have they may not have, and we may not have seen God face to face. But sure enough, they will see that we've been with God. Because the radiance is not just in the expression of how good we look, how much we have in our pockets, how well we can articulate, how we got it all together, and how we, sure enough, have moved up that old social mobility ladder. How we made ourselves a name in the medical field that we've been in. How we made ourselves a name in the teaching industry that we've been in. How we made ourselves a name on the platforms where some folks want to minister to. How we made ourselves a name in the classroom. Some kids, you want to be the first one and the, not the last. And some of y'all understand that you made a name for yourself when you were the valedictorian. You made a name for yourself. When you're the individual that's getting all of the accolades, you made a name for yourself. When you were telling people more about what you were doing and less about what God was doing, you made a name for yourself in the way that people were able to see that you got it all together, or your house looked real big, or your car looked real good, or you were able to manage your money real nice. You got a nice little neck said to rest off with. You got all of these things. You made a name for yourself. But, beloved, I want to ask you the question, if you were just to change that around and show people that you had just been in the presence of God and you had labored in prayer sometime and where God had you somewhere and some time ago, it wasn't about the name that you were making yourself when you were laboring in your prayer time, but it was the name that God was placing on you. It was a name that was above all names. And his name is the Ancient of Days. His name is the King of Kings. His name is the one that we ought to bear because it's the bloodstained banner that we carry all day long. Therefore, beloved, when we walk in South Memphis, North Memphis, East Memphis, Midtown, Downtown, all the way out there in Lakeland, Germantown, wherever you are, H-Town, I don't care. What God will see is that you have made a name for him because people will see the radiance of his glory with you. Will you imitate God and him alone, beloved? Father, we thank you. Because you are one that consistently moves in us. You are consistently reminding us that the manger was a powerful place and that one day you're going to come and dwell amongst us in a powerful way. And God, help us to bear your name because your name is great amongst all of creation. And help us, Lord Jesus, to understand our connection to you and how you have transformed us and consistently changing us from the womb all the way to the tomb. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. All God's people say together. Let us stand to our feet.
kind of caught up right now. I need that. I just stepped away because I need that. I just need some time. I hope that time tonight we come ready to worship and lift the name of Jesus, clapping our hands, moving our feet. If you need to shout, shout, run around. Don't be afraid to move yourself because God will move you anyway. But I, I, I'm serious about imitating God, beloved, because that motif is one that we see throughout the Bible and we can do it in so many different ways. But during this season, as you are loving on your family and doing your family traditions, don't forget to, to imitate the Lord towards one another because it can be so frustrating in this season because of what you're trying to get and how your family you're trying to be around. Some people have lost loved ones, i.e. our brother Richard, Amber, our sister. And so this season, we want to imitate Christ the best way we know how, identifying with people who've lost people, identifying people who, have, who are thriving in this season. We just want to love each other well in the way that God would call us to. And so as we do, we leave this place with that, imitating him. So will you receive the benediction now? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit fill your hearts and be with you now and forevermore. Go in peace, beloved. Amen. <laughs>